Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Good morning, Hawkeye fans, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe. We are recording on Tuesday, September the 12th, 8.52 a.m. Central Time, to be precise. Today, we're going to break down the New York Jets' overtime victory against the Buffalo Bills Monday Night Football. Um, It was outstanding. Wasn't it? Uh, of course, Aaron Rodgers gets hurt in the first quarter uh, as a long-suffering Jets fan. Um, that was uh, that was on brand, really. And uh, uh, Jets muddled their way through to victory, thanks in large part to the Bills not playing well, which I think had to do with uh, uh, the Jets. Very good defense. I know none of you guys care about this, but as somebody who is 56 and who has suffered through years and years of pain with the Jets, I'm going to talk about it there for just a minute or two. All right. Um, we uh, move into week three of the college football season, and uh, Hawkeyes 2-0 and after Saturday's 20-13 to victory in Ames. It was a little... Uh, dicey at times, and uh, but really, uh, if you get to the core of what Iowa football is under Kirk Ferentz, this is a very, again, not to be redundant, but on-brand start to an Iowa football season where you look at it and there are a lot of uh, areas where you see potential and that usually means they're to reach that there's required development um and you know continuous improvement to get to that point i started to write a column last night that hopefully i can get through at some point this week just on the potential of this team which i've written about before uh already this season but this is more about just um what I what I kind of what I've seen through the first two weeks and just the synopsis of that is again you see potential you see the ability if things come together for this to be 
a really good season, if not a special season, in part because of the potential of Iowa. And then also when you look at the schedule and what else is going on in the Big Ten West, and I would say the Big Ten overall, Ohio State and Michigan have not blown anybody away by any means. Michigan has a ridiculously easy schedule to this point uh, in their non-conference anyway overall. Uh, and Ohio State's offense is still a work in progress, but it's going to be a really a matter in this conference more, I think, than than most years of which teams can develop and get better as the season goes on. And if you take it for that, you look at Iowa as a team that, you know, historically gets better as the season goes on, then that plays to its favor. But Long way to go, only two games in. This week is not a very challenging game. Western Michigan is terrible. Uh, 24-point favorite Iowa is this week. Uh, Western Michigan got, got, excuse me, Western Michigan got pounded at Syracuse as a 24-point underdog. So uh, I would not expect much of a challenge this week. I know I have some questions about uh, my thoughts on whether or not to play Cade McNamara in this game. And I'm not laughing at you because I think it's a legit question. Uh, I'm just laughing at the thought of start playing a, a game in week three where you actually have an option of sitting your starting quarterback and still feeling good about, you know, your chances to win. I don't know that the coaches feel that way. I don't see Deacon Hill in practice. I've seen him practice a few times, but not uh, – play in a game. So I'm not, I'm not sure what we'd get from him in a game and I'm not sure uh, how much it would matter against this team. But anyway, I usually hit you guys with headlines uh, of Hawkeye nation, what's going on in Hawkeye sports right now. And I usually, uh, if you check my feed out, um, you go, you don't have to go back very far. I do a, uh, a weekly uh, roundup uh, of, you know, the non-revenue sports, the Olympic sports, however you want to frame them. Uh, and I, I do a roundup there. Um, kind of cool. The Iowa field hockey team is ranked number one now. Uh, got a couple of pretty decisive wins this past weekend. And uh, the freshman has just been incredibly good. Uh, uh, Dion Van Alsom, I think is how you say her last name. I apologize if I butchered that, but uh, she has just been tremendous this year. Uh, she's got 16 goals already on the season, which is incredible. Um, Iowa soccer team is unbeaten. Uh, got a nil-nil draw at ranked Virginia last week, so that was nice. Uh, some other things going on as well. Uh, Mac McClear was second at the ANF Fall Classic for men's golf. Uh, cross country team competed in Wisconsin. Tyler Cropley, former Iowa baseball player, was called up uh, to the Royals last week. Uh, so some good stuff going on there. If you want to check that out, it's uh, on my feed. It's the Iowa Hawkeye Week in Review. And um, yeah, check that out. Also announced last week that the football season is officially sold out. I think it was Illinois that had some tickets left. You can still get some, uh, uh, what the heck do they call those? The uh, um, 
Hawkeye Village uh, tickets. Uh, I'm not sure what goes into that, but uh, you can find that out at HawkeyeSports.com. So plenty to get into today with your questions, so don't want to spend a lot of time on the other stuff. Um, 44 MLS at 44 MLS on Twitter, a weekly contributor to the Mailbag Podcast, and we appreciate those contributions. Hi, Rob. With the two, with his 200th win, does this make Kirk Ferentz a college football Hall of Famer? So here's the rub on that, and I think people this will become more, um, co- you know, commonly known in the Hawkeye community because it's not something you. Uh, pay a lot of attention to because there aren't a lot of coaches that go into the Hall of Fame, but there are, uh, and, and I think they're kind of arbitrary, but there are uh, benchmarks that you have to hit to get into the Hall of Fame. And one of the main benchmarks is you have to have a 600 winning percentage. Kirk Ferentz is under that right now, not by a lot, less probably than a percentage point, uh, under that. So he's going to, but this is the type of season where potentially could get him over that. Um, but again, when you have, when you've coached so many games, just one win doesn't move the needle a lot when it comes to winning percentage. So it's going to take, you know, um, significant amount of wins this year to push him over that. Uh, I don't know if they bend those rules at all. Um, I, I'll fully admit I don't follow it that closely. Um, but I know that is a stipulation that you have to have a uh, 600 or better winning percentages, and he is under that right now. Um, I know my colleague Scott Docterman from The Athletic, who we do Hot Spot Podcast on Thursdays, he wrote a piece on this last week. And, uh, you know, Barry Alvarez is just a hair over that mark. So that gives you an idea of the difficulty in that. And, the hard part of that is when guys like Barry and Kirk take over programs that that are being rebuilt, you're going to probably have poor records early on. And then you're just, you know, trying to get over that hump and then play catch up for the, you know, Iowa won one game in Kirk's first season. So he's so far below that 600 at that point that he's got to continually push it up. And then there have been some down years in there as well. Um, But uh, you think about him moving up in the victories in the big 10, I think is he third now in big 10 victories. I can't remember, Um, but it's, the, it it looks like a Hall of Fame career less, but I guess without being over that 60%, 600 winning percentage, however you want to uh, winning 60% of your games, until he does that, I think there's going to be some question. If he gets over, six, over the 60%, I think it's probably going to happen, um, but we'll have to see how it goes. And it's not going to happen until he retires, so... Really, at this point, it's kind of premature to, you know, weigh in too much on that 60%. But you look at it and you got, what, two Big Ten titles in what? If he could win it this year, it'd be three in 25 years. I don't know how much that plays into it. Um, 
but yeah, we'll see. I I don't, I, I'm going to plead a little bit of ignorance here. I don't know kind of the process that goes into uh, the voting for the college football hall of fame, who votes, things like that. I probably should research that a little bit more, but um, that's kind of, those are my thoughts on it to this point. Uh, Les with another question here. I know hindsight is 2020, but I was wondering your opinion, what your opinion is on the fourth down and nine defensive call that allowed ISU to score a touchdown to make it 20 to 13. So it was basically um, cover zero. They sent everybody, um, I think. I can't remember if it was complete cover zero, but it was pretty much an all-out blitz of Rocco Becht. Um, he got it out. Give the kid credit. He got the ball out quick. And if you remember, that was that play. Um, I remember if it was the first quarter of the set. It was the first half where Iowa State went for that kind of the quarter – the corner jump ball to Higgins and Deshaun Lee broke that one up. Went back and looked at that, that, you know, that was a toss up could have been called PI. It wasn't, they were letting them play on Saturday uh, and letting some contact and physicality happen on the outside. We saw that um, on the interception um, that McNamara threw uh, that got, that was kind of a hand fighting deal for the ball as well. Um, but that the play in the first half Deshaun Lee stopped it for that play to work. The one where they gave up the touchdown in the fourth quarter, it had to be perfect. I mean, Iowa took the percentages down a great deal by blitzing. I have no problem at all with that call. It, like you said, the hindsight is twenty twenty. Maybe you don't do that there and give Deshaun Lee some safety help and just guard from going to the end zone. Uh, but that was a that was a play designed to just end the game, uh, and it didn't. It worked out. Higgins made an incredible catch, and it took such perfection from Iowa State to score on that. On that, it almost um, justifies the blitz because. That it had to be a perfect play to beat that blitz. And you could say, well, they could have just hung back and, you know, guarded the end zone and made them, made Iowa State use more clock, use more plays. I get that. And that's the hindsight part that you're talking about, Les. Um, but yeah, I, I, you know, initially I was a little bit more in my head, at least critical of going there with the blitz, but having watched, rewatched the game and, and that play several times, um, you just tip your cap to Iowa State, I think, in that situation that, you know, it made a play, a very hard play, but it had to be very precise and perfect for it to work. It had to be a quick read from Becht quick release, getting the ball out, putting the ball in an area where his receiver can make a play, and then his receiver making an incredible play on the ball. All of those things had to happen. So odds were in Iowa's favor that that wouldn't happen, but Iowa State beat the odds, so tip of the cap to the Cyclones for making that play work. Uh, Jesse Lucier, uh, also a frequent contributor to the podcast. Appreciate that. How have your expectations changed this year based on how other teams on Iowa's schedule have performed? The Big Ten West does not look too impressive, and MSU, well, 
Yeah. Um, yeah, who knows what Michigan State's going to look like in a few weeks when it comes to Kinnick Stadium for the uh, first Big Ten game at Kinnick this year, and that's the week after Penn State. So it goes Western Michigan at Penn State, Michigan State here um, for Iowa's next three. Um, I would say maybe a little bit more optimistic about Iowa winning the West. Um, but I may or may not have thrown a few shekels down on Iowa winning the West anyway before the season. So I had some confidence that it could happen. Um, and I still think Iowa can win the West. And, and I think you can make a case that it's the favorite to win the West. Now, Illinois does not, Illinois looks like it's taken a step back from last year. Purdue, the same Wisconsin, I don't know. The Wisconsin's the one to me that is the bigger mystery so far because um, we don't know much about what Washington State's going to do. I don't think Washington State's a, a, a you know a Pac-12 contender by any means, but it's a good program and it's a tough place to play. Um, you know, it's not an easy road game, so to speak. Much easier travel-wise, to go to Iowa State than it is to go to Pullman. But um, is is Washington State better than Iowa State? I don't know. I mean, time will tell on that. Um, but Wisconsin dug itself a huge hole and almost dug out of it but could not quite complete the comeback. So I would say, you know, maybe Rutgers is better than – Michigan State in terms of what we thought coming into the season. So the Zach game, even though it's in Iowa City, become a little bit more of a challenge for Iowa. You know, that that game shapes up as a very intense defensive battle. But I don't know, Nebraska has been, you know, 0-2. So that's – but who knows what, you know, the Huskers will look like by Black Friday. You would hope that a new coaching staff could – you know, make some progress between now and then. It's a rivalry game. You never know what you're going to get there. Minnesota, a little shaky in the opener against Nebraska, but the only other Big Ten West team besides Iowa that's unbeaten at this point, which is is kind of amazing when you think about it. You have a seven-team, seven-team division, and only two of those teams are unbeaten after two weeks. That's not good um, because it's not like the Big Ten West has played a gauntlet of tough teams. Uh, Purdue lost at home to Fresno State and then went and beat a terrible Virginia Tech team down in Blacksburg. So I think it's really early to make too many um, declarations here, Jesse. But I would say I do feel more optimistic about Iowa's chances to win the West than I did before the season, but I was pretty optimistic that it could win the West coming into the season. So not a lot of movement there, but I, I certainly with you that it looks like maybe I thought Illinois would be better than this. And again, Illinois is replacing a lot by the time it gets here in November, it could look a lot different. That's the thing we have to remind ourselves here is what we see now you know, in the, what is it, September 12th, second week of September, isn't necessarily what we're going to see in the middle of October or in November. Every team um, 
changes throughout the season, some for the better and some for the worse. So you don't know kind of what you're going to get down the road, but potentially right now it looks like things shape up well for Iowa. Maybe, um, you know, one of those years where the schedule is kind enough to, to take advantage of. Certainly that was the thought coming into the year. And I don't think anything we've seen through the first two weeks of the season has changed that outlook. So kind of where I am on that. Thank you for the question, Jesse. Jesse's got another question later on. Actually, I'll just go with Jesse's other question now to stay on task. Uh, What are some things you want to see this week against Western Michigan to gain confidence that this team can really compete at Penn State? Thanks. Um. I'm not sure that they can do anything against this Western Michigan team that's going to give me more confidence about going to Penn State. That I think it's more Iowa's history of playing, for the most part, well against Penn State through the years. Um, I know there's some tension between the two programs now with, you know, the last trip here. Uh, the Nittany, Nittany Lions came into Kinnick and – there was talk about, you know, their players faking injuries, things like that. Um, I know that's been a that will be a big topic of conversation next week. I would anticipate um, the history there uh, between the two. I know I, I don't feel like uh, James Franklin and, and Kirk Ferentz are on each other's uh, holiday card list. So, but I think that's typical. Uh, with competition at this level in this league. I don't think you have a lot of friends around the league. I think you have, you know, guys you respect um, and guys you don't. I don't know what category those two fit in with each other, um, but it's competitive. It's not the same division. So there's not that type of um, rivalry aspect to it, but there has been a history with Kirk Ferentz and Penn state. So um, I think that remains and um, I'm not sure there's anything that they could do. I mean, if they run for 500 yards, maybe that would give me a little bit more, excuse me, confidence in the running game heading to Penn State. But I'm not sure we can take a ton out of what we see against Western Michigan as um, building confidence going into Penn State because the discrepancy between – what Western Michigan is and what Penn state is. Penn state is one of the, is a top 10 team. Western Michigan could very well be the worst team in the Mac. So that's, you know, night and day. So I would, uh, what I would like to see though, just in terms of for growth would be more consistency from the offensive line um, in run blocking. And then on top of that, maybe, uh, Iowa, Iowa, an ability for Iowa to show that it can stretch the field with its wide receivers. I know I have a question on that later, and I'll get to that. But the wide receiver play through two weeks, for whatever reason, has not been great. And you can say, yeah, but the tight ends have played really well, and that's great, and I agree. Um, but at some point, you have to be able to stretch the field and get defenders out of the box and Iowa still has not been able to do that, and we'll see hopefully this week. 
and ability to get the ball down the field. And that's not taking anything away from the Seth Anderson touchdown, the first touchdown of the season. Um, and he made a great move and that, you know, caused the defensive back to fall down, but that was basically a free play. Um, you just like would like to see some more consistent throws down the field to your wide receiver and the ability to take some shots and do that. So kind of what I'm looking for there, Jesse, but uh fair, fair question, no doubt. And uh, I guess this is one of those games where I'll know after the game, maybe better than going into the game. If I see something that it gives me encouragement going into Penn state, because um I expect the defense to to um suffocate Western Michigan. It's just it, it it's it's the offense at this point, right? What's the development? What's the growth there? Um so keeping guys healthy, I think would be uh at the top of the list going into Penn State. Don't lose any of your key players to a fluky or goofy injury against Western Michigan. Um, and then just build on what you've done the first two weeks and give yourself some momentum going into state college. Seems like a good time to uh, take a little break. I want to let folks know that support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. That is S ui.org. Thank you to Systems Unlimited for the great work that they do in the community and also for their support of the podcast. We're going to hear from a few more of our sponsors and I will be back on the other side with more of your questions. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. Hi, this is AJ Perez, managing partner at Deary Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram of Waukee and Iowa City. I'm so proud of our team at both locations. We are committed to one thing, giving our customers the absolute best when it comes to service and a car buying experience, the kind of experience that brings you back. What makes us different? We believe at Deary, we don't just sell cars, we help people buy them. Do you need a great electrical contractor or fire and water restoration specialist? Well, contact Lance Bolin at LB Electric and LJ Construction in North Liberty. Lance has served the corridor for many years and is ready to help you. Call Lance Bolin at 319-640-1116. That's 319-640-1116. Or visit LJ underscore construction on Instagram for licensed and insured electrical work, fire and water restoration, and remodeling. And we're back. I want to apologize for uh, my nasalness. Is that a word? Um, I'm more nasally than usual. I've got some type of crud I'm battling, and it's got my head all stuffed up. Um, perfect fall, early fall, late summer cold that uh, is very enjoyable. Not. All right, Hawkeye fans. I know you uh, are in the spirit this time of year. Uh, very proud of your black and gold, your Hawkeyes, uh, and you like to show that pride in various ways, uh, whether it's apparel, uh, you're fighting with people on social media, things things like that. Uh, I have another way for you to show your pride, 
And that is checking out Randy Ingalls Hawkeye artwork at under the kitchen dot square dot site. That is under the kitchen dot square dot site. Find great artwork pieces on some of your favorite Hawkeyes like Tim Dwight, Spencer Lee, Chris and Keegan Murray. Uh, some great, great pieces there that would look great in your house. Uh, your Hawkeye room, the office, wherever you want to show your Hawkeye spirit, these pieces of art fit nicely into that. Uh, and they're all available at underthekitchen.square.site, reasonably priced and come with certificates of authenticity. So check that out. Thank you to Randy for sponsoring the podcast. It's underthekitchen.square.site. Check that out. Let's hop back in here to some questions. Let's see where I left off. All right, Jesse was the last question. Uh, the next one comes from Corey Wingrove at Wingrove Corey on Twitter X. What's a realistic score that you would be happy with this up- upcoming game? Western Michigan is bad and great opportunity to tune up some things on offense, get the confidence going, heading into conference play. Want to see the receivers involved greatly, connect on deep shots, etc. I think those are all fair points, Corey. Um, I, I mentioned a few minutes ago before the break about the wide receivers, getting them more involved, uh, incorporating them more into the offense. Um, I'm not really sure what it is at this point, if it's the lack of reps in the offseason with Cade and his receivers. Um, not sure what, what that is. In terms of realistic score, it should be a, it should be a uh if the if the point spreads at 24 um i actually not that i'm giving out gambling advice cuz you don't want my gambling advice but i would throw those points that's how confident i am uh in iowa winning this game i think uh it will cover the 24 points so i don't know 30 to 3 35 to 6 Late touchdown if Iowa uses some of its backups, you know, 40 to 13, something like that. Um, and that those 40 could be all offensive points, or we could have a pick six or a scoop and score or something like that. Or, you know, Cooper DeGene returns a punt for a touchdown. Caleb Johnson takes a kickoff to the house. Some of those things may happen. I think for me, it's less about the score, Corey, and more about what we actually see out there in terms of domination, this is a game that Iowa should dominate start to finish. So to me, more than score, that's what you want to see. And it, you know, if they have to settle for a field goal here and there, so be it. it you, there, There's no perfect game. They're not going to have a perfect game. They're going to have some ups and downs. Every game has a, at least some bit of adversary at adversity for the most part. Um, but for this, this to me is just, can Iowa's offensive line just be consistently good for 60 minutes? That's one, as you mentioned, the wide receiver, can Iowa hit some shots down the field and can Iowa run the football? Can Iowa can consistently run the football? It's still not there yet. If you take away Jazzy on Patterson's big, 59-yard run the other day, and I know you can't take that away um, because it happened, 
But if you're just looking again for just consistency in the running game, we still haven't seen that through two weeks. And I know we have some running back questions coming up, so I won't go too far into that yet. Um, But, you know, we thought that there would be some growing pains with his offense. I didn't think it would be running the football, but here we are. So, um, you know, Iowa struggled to find consistent um, consistency in its running game the last two seasons, and now we're two games into this season with the same um, scenario. Iowa is not able to consistently run the football. So, you know, we're seeing some different blocking schemes, uh, some pulling, uh, some hat on hat, more hat on hat, uh, some counter, a lot more counter runs this year. Uh, so there's change there. And maybe that's going to take some time for that change to kick in and be consistent. If that's the way Iowa goes, if Iowa goes to more of that, what we've seen the first two weeks, as opposed to just the straight inside outside zone running. So I didn't think the zone running looked great in the opener. Um, I thought there were some problems with blocking that, especially I just remember recall some outside zone blocking where not everybody was blocked. So that's obviously a problem. And uh, yeah, so not really a number or a score, Corey, that I'm looking at this week, although you would like to see a dominating lopsided scoreboard at the end, uh, but it's more the eye test. Does Iowa look like a team that can go to Penn State and get a win? Um, And I don't know. Maybe it does look like one against the bad Western Michigan team. And it's really, we have no, it really doesn't foreshadow at all what we're going to see in State College. And maybe it does. So like to just, it's hard to do. And I know we all want to push ahead and look and think about what the season can be. But I think, most seasons with Iowa football, you take it week to week and you hope that each week there's incremental progress. Um, but it's hard to know until you go to each week. So that's that's kind of the rub on that. So uh, let's see here. Next up is Hawks 31 at Hawks 31 Cowboys. Got some new folks in this week. Appreciate you guys uh checking in and asking questions please don't be strangers in the future so i'm a sicko and went back and watched last year's first two games to compare to this year's the offense looks infinitely better but the stats say they haven't really improved is my fan bias showing or are the stats not really reflecting the improvement again i think when you look at it from a statistical standpoint, again, like you're saying, that's one thing. Like that, going back to Corey's question about what the score might be this week, you know, what, what's a score that gives you confidence going into state college? It's more about what we're seeing with our eyes, right? And I agree with you. It, the offense does look better, and especially the passing game, just in terms of some concepts the 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 targets you know who who's on the other end of those passes i think there's some talent there um the quarterback is a gamer and you know it is one of those guys that 
can make big plays when they're needed to be made in crucial situations. He's not a hundred percent. It's, I don't know how close he is. I wouldn't say, I don't know if I'd put him at 95. You watch him out there and he's slowed. He can't move as well. Um, but even with that, you see excellent footwork and, you know, textbook release point and, you know, for the most part, putting the ball where it needs to be um, for his guys to make a play. The problem is, is most of the throws he's making are contested. He's throwing to guys that aren't often wide open. They're open. And you can't expect at this level for them to be wide open a lot but it just seems like he has really small windows right now to get the ball into. And I don't know if that's the, those are the route concepts, you know, are, are the route trees changed? Did they change? There are some different routes I, I noticed, and there are uh, different concepts offensively that we're seeing. Um, so is it a matter of those developing it, those concepts um, or is it that, you know, the receivers maybe not getting enough separation. Uh, is it a timing thing with Cade missing, you know, most of the spring outside of some lighter work and then missing, you know, two weeks of camp? Is this, are we seeing, you know, on the field in game development? Or, you know, will these will these things improve as the season goes on, as they get used to those reps in games and then during the week in practice? Um, those are all things you hope that the development is happening now, but it's hard to know. Maybe we continue and we look middle of the season and those windows are still small that he has to throw into and the receivers still are not getting the separation they need to get. Uh, but there are a lot of one-on-one situations because teams are so dedicated to taking away Iowa's run game that Iowa should have uh, one-on-one matchups on the outside. It's a matter of winning those, and you have to win those, whether you're the receiver getting into a position where you can make that catch and then also McNamara putting that ball where it needs to be and having the comfort level to put that ball there where he knows his guy's going to make a play and not end up in an interception. So what I'm saying is it's it just kind of it's too early to really make any judgments on what this team can be. It is what it is. It's 2 and 0. It's averaging 22 points a game. One of those was a pick 6. So there's still clearly problems with the offense scoring especially when it gets down the field a little bit more. Um Got to be able to punch those in um, more consistently and not settle for field goals. Um, you know, one touchdown the other day from the offense. Is that right? Yes, one touchdown from the offense. Got to do more than that. And Iowa State's a, a very um, consistently good defense. They don't give up a lot. So that may be one of the better defenses Iowa plays this year. Time will tell. So, again, there's all these, you know, different, um, you know, there's context to all this. There's nuance to all this. And 
instead of overreacting one way or the other early in the season, it's it to me from watching this program for as long as I have, it, it's really it makes the most sense to just kind of take it week to week and say, okay, these are the things that look good and can they build on that? And what is going on during the week during game prep that the coaches see and make adjustments, you know, all of those things play in. And that's, it's like a puzzle going through the season where you're trying to fit the pieces week to week, what works, what isn't working, what can we lean on more? What might be available? Things like that. So I'm with you. I think the offense shows more potential. It looks, it doesn't look as hard. It doesn't look like it's stuck in quicksand like it has the past two years at times, but it's still just, it's got a lot. It still has a way to go. Um, and we'll see. We'll see how it, it plays out. I have, I'm optimistic, but I'm also realistic. And, uh, it comes down to can this offense do enough to complement what Iowa has on defense and special teams? That's always the case with this system. Um, and I think there's the potential there for it to do that. Uh, Golden Handcuffs has three here, so we'll go through them. I think the question of the week is, would you start or rest McNamara against Western Michigan? On one hand, he needs as many reps with his receivers as possible to get ready for Big Ten play. On the other, resting that quad may help for Penn State. Thoughts? This is one of those where um, – you look at it on the surface and say Western Michigan is so bad that Iowa can win without McNamara. And that's probably the case, but you also don't want to give this game away and he does need reps. And so to me, the harder thing for me to answer this question is I don't know how much, if any damage he's doing to his quad by playing now, can he, Will the, will the how much will the would the quad improve by him sitting out this week as opposed to playing maybe half of the game? Say Iowa's up twenty four nothing at half. Western Michigan's not scoring twenty five against this Iowa defense. Then you sit him. So did that half hamper his quad and set him back this amount? And would it have helped him not to play that first half this amount? Going into Penn State, they're just without knowing exactly, you know, talking to his, the trainers and and we're not going to get that information about his situation. If is he doing more damage to the quad by playing? Um, you know, it would seem so. It would seem like resting the quad for another week would would help him going into Penn State, but he could get it dinged on the first play at Penn State and be back where he was before Western Michigan. So I don't know. I think I would lean towards starting him against Western Michigan, letting him play. Hopefully it goes to script and Iowa builds a big lead and then you can get him rest in the second half. And in conjunction with that, get Deacon Hill reps or Joey Labus, probably Deacon Hill reps to get him some game action um, and prepare him. Since you have a starting quarterback who's not 100% and dinged up and who who could potentially go down at any point in the season, getting your backup some game reps is important. So hopefully they the coaching staff can at least balance 
what it needs to do this week in terms of advancing the program and advancing this team and improving this team by getting the opportunity to do that with how the game plays out, how it it evolves and you make the right choices there. But you could also have a situation where it's sloppy in the first half and it's 10 nothing at halftime, and then what do you do? You pretty much have to throw McNamara out there again to, to the point where you get a comfortable lead and then give Deacon Hill reps. So I would lead towards playing McNamara this week as if he is in the same condition he was. He actually was pretty optimistic when we talked to him after the Iowa State game about feeling – Good feeling, you know, he, he didn't, he did not take a step back against Iowa State. I don't know how much of a step forward he took in terms of uh, improving his health or his health getting better, but he didn't take a step back. So um, that's important and that's encouraging. And that would lead me to probably what is going on in my house a lot of zippers and noise. Um, I apologize for the background noise, but um, let's see. Another one from Golden Handcuffs. The pass protection has looked good for the first two weeks. However, the run game is still not where it needs to be if Iowa wants to compete for the Big Ten title. Should Jazz Patterson start, he runs violently north and south and falls forward. All right, so I know I've got several questions on the Caleb Johnson, Jazzy and Patterson uh, situation, I guess, the running back situation in Iowa. Um, I'm not overly concerned with Caleb Johnson. If you go back and look at the first two weeks, he's the kid's picked up some tough yards. He's not had the hole that Jazz had to run through to get to the open field. He's not, I don't, he's not had that. And you can say, well, it's because he's not running hard enough through the hole. I have not seen, has he missed some? Yeah. Could he have run harder through some of them? Yes. Would that have gained more yards? Probably. Um, all of those things can be true, but I don't see a problem with Caleb Johnson. It's more the consistency of the run blocking. Jazz had a great run. And Connor Colby had an all-time block on that play, pulling and sealing, and you know, getting the um, getting the hole opened wide open um, on a third and one. I think it was. It was a third and short, and Iowa popped it. So you have to consider that Iowa State was stacking and got caught, and that one guy that was supposed to make the play, Colby blew up. So that's part of it. And um, so I, what, what did I think Caleb had 15 carries and jazz had 10. Um, That seems like a a reasonable split. Um, And you can kind of this week. And and I think each, some games are different too, right? Where, um, you know, the, the flow of the game, the defense that's being played against you, all of those things factor into what you do in your running game um, and passing game for that matter. But for Iowa, 
I could I could easily see Caleb Johnson having a huge week this week, and maybe and maybe this maybe I maybe we should push this more to Penn State. I could see Caleb being the more effective runner against Penn State than Jazz. I'm not saying that's the case, but I don't think there's this huge discrepancy or that Patterson is so much better than than Caleb Johnson now because he had the 59-yard run and the better game at Iowa State. Um, Caleb Johnson already has quite a bit of money in the bank playing how he's played to this point um, in his young career that um, we'll see. But I agree with Golden Handcuffs. The gurning game is not where it needs to be if Iowa wants to compete for a Big Ten title. Uh, again, from Golden Handcuffs, another game where Iowa receivers had limited targets. Why do you think that is? Not getting separation. Cade trusts the tight ends more given limited reps. Feels like we need to we need some completed deep balls to take defenders out of the box, which opens up running lanes. And it's not just one deep ball. It's having a consistent threat down the field. You have to stress defenses down the field. If you're going to stack the box and give us one-on-one on the outside, we're going to continue to beat your ass on that. And if you continue to do that, then it has to be respected. That takes guys out of the box. Then it opens up the run. Then it opens up play action. Um, But that's a big if. So, because we haven't seen that. We haven't seen – it seemed like – and it seems like Iowa is – that uh, the Iowa line is giving McNamara time to survey the field and throw. Not always, and the very the time varies. You know, the protection varies. I get that. But at least it's – I. <laughs> I'm wondering about separate, and I. It's hard to see this on the TV film. You'd have to see this more on the film that the that the teams have that overhead, you know, complete field look. Whereas you know, TV networks want to zoom in on the ball and and every and where whoever has the ball line play things like that. Um, so it's hard to see the separation. So I won't make that. But I, McNamara is smart enough and experienced enough that if he sees an open receiver, he's going to throw the ball. So in his mind, the receivers aren't open to throw them the ball to target them. Um, now, again, context nuance. Are the routes uh, effective? Uh, is the tree effective? Uh, how much are the throw – how much are – is the game plan put in – to protect McNamara, who's injured, and get out quick passes to the tight ends or shorter passes to the wide receivers, things like that. There's hard; it's hard to know, to you know, nuance wise, context wise, what is, the issue is with getting the ball to the wide receivers. But it needs to be figured out, right? Because against what better teams Iowa does face on its schedule. It's going to have to figure those things out. It's going to have to find ways to keep defenses honest and to get them out of the box because I, you look at it and there are still just too many plays. I think it may have been the the third and short late in that game where Caleb Johnson had no chance. I mean, he had just 
a swarm of Cyclone defenders that kept him from the first down. And that was after a play where he got a nice chunk of yards, where he powered through and got nice yards, setting up the short, the third and short, you know, management, not management, third and short, and it didn't work out. So it's a process, finding the plays that work, finding the right play calls at the right times, um, you know, is the is the coordinator putting his guys in position to make plays? He didn't on that, and I don't know how much that was the play call or how much that was the execution, but going into year three of this and these inconsistencies on offense, there whatever it is, there are no more excuses. You have to figure it out, and that's kind of where Iowa is going into week three. Uh Rick Achterhoff at Rick Achterhoff uh, 2 on Twitter. Heard a commentator talk about Iowa running backs needing more yards after contact. Do you see Patterson getting more carries due to Caleb Johnson not hitting the hole as hard as he did last year? Is he injured or just being too careful? So it's it's interesting how these narratives kind of uh, form. And I'm not picking on you at all, Rick, because I know this conversation is out there, the conversation that you present with your question, which is, in large part, is Caleb Johnson playing hard? Um, and that—that that is really something that you better know that he's trying to protect himself, you know, because he can't come out of, he can't come out and go to the pros after this season. So does he want to become known as a guy who runs carefully to keep himself healthy um, to not hit the – and we got this a little bit last year from Kirk talking about Caleb finishing runs and understanding his ability and get it maximizing. He's still a really young player who's trying to figure this out. Um and I would push back on the commentator who said that Iowa needs more yards after contact. I think they do to a degree, but there's a difference between getting through a would-be tackler or two and getting through a swarm of defenders that are, you know, bearing down on you. And you look at it a lot, um, you know, from the problems that Goodson had in 2001 with negative runs there are still too many times where the Iowa running back does not have a chance that, you know, and Jazz ran hard and he ran really effectively the other day. And I like his potential. I've liked his potential since the first time I saw him at kids day last year, I was like, wow, this kid's got a little bit of, little bit of juice, a little bit of wiggle, a little bit of acceleration, uh, all those things. They're they're different backs, but they can both be effective. And I wouldn't say that Caleb is necessarily just gone into a shell and is protecting himself and being careful. I don't think he's hurt. And I think he'll be fine. I still, if you go back through the, the first two games and look, he has some really impressive runs where there's not a lot there that he gets because of the runner he is. He's struggling. He's not putting enough of those together. He's got too many very short gains. Uh, 
to the point where it puts you in a second and long. But I also think there are ways to open it up with play calling, running out of spread formations. Iowa right now is jamming three tight ends at the line, which, all right, so I'm a defender. I'm going to cover Lachey. I'm going to cover all. I'll I'll make sure that Stilianos or Ostrenga aren't doing anything funny uh, in terms of getting out in the pass patterns, but I know they're probably going to run the ball. There's a good chance they're going to run the ball out of this formation. I'm going to stack the box. That's not advantageous to your running back. Spread it out. Give them some holes to to run through. Make the make it so Caleb Johnson can make a defender or two miss in an open situation rather than trying to make a defender miss when there's three guys in front of him and he's got to figure out a way to get through three guys or or guys that are before he gets any sort of momentum are right there. That's so hard to do. I think, you know, and again, credit to jazz. He ran really well the other day. We don't know whether the plays he were was in were blocked up better or conceptually better or called in a better situation against whatever defense than they gave Caleb, but I've seen Caleb Johnson succeed. He is a really good running back. It's putting him in a position to succeed. And then he's gotta he's gotta carry his weight. He's gotta do his thing, but he can do that. I'm not at all down on Caleb Johnson. I feel good about Jazz Patterson. And I think LaShawn Williams is a really good running back as well. Iowa's in really good shape at running back and tight end. It's the receivers they've got to figure out and consistency on the offensive line. And then also play calling that um, puts the players in position to succeed rather than putting them in a really untenable situation or a tough situ- tougher situation to succeed. That's not easy to do. I get it. But we're now in year three where we're not seeing that enough. So that's the challenge, right? The potential is there, but you have to reach that potential. Clint Harms at Until Game will wrap us up today. In the last three seasons, it seems like the starting running back looks for the home run too much. Meanwhile, the backup comes in and runs hard and hungry. I'm by no means giving up on Caleb, but he needs to utilize his 220-pound frame when it comes to those tough yards. Your thoughts? Yeah, this kind of piggybacks off the last question, or does piggyback off the last question, and I have similar thoughts. Can Caleb run harder at times? Yeah. Does he hit? Does he make the right read all the time and get to the right hole all the time? No. Um, but I also think it's more than just him uh, not being as hungry or not running as hard. Um, I just I, I hesitate to label a kid like that or say that because we I, I I remember hearing this about Tyler Goodson that he's running for the big play. And that's why he gets those negative runs and that hurts Iowa. And there were times where that was the case, but there were times where he had absolutely no chance. Again, predictability with play calling is to me the biggest drawback when it comes to Iowa offensive football. Great. You've got three tight ends that are, you know, starting level tight ends, use them. But Maybe in a play where you have three tight ends, you don't run the ball. You throw it more. 
Um, maybe when you don't have any tight ends, you run the ball, you spread it out and let the running back make a play. Um, I know I'm going to extremes on both ends here, but being less predictable instead of just saying, this is what we're going to do and we're going to try to execute it and we're going to try to be more physical than you and we're going to try to beat you that way. That works sometimes and I don't want you to, you know, I I don't think you move completely away from that, but I also think you need to change what you do. You need to evolve to a certain degree. And now again, are they trying to protect Cade with some of this play calling and making sure that he's safe and doesn't get hurt? I'm sure there's a degree of that too. So I talk more generally when I, when I try to uh, share with you guys what I see, but I also understand that the coaches know a hell of a lot more than me. They are watching what the defense is doing a hell of a lot more than me. They have a plan coming in but I would like to see the plan vary here and there based on opponent and what the opponent is trying to do, as opposed to we're going to continue to do the same exact thing every week until we get it right, till we execute it perfectly. Sometimes you can execute a play by being less predictable. And to me, that is still the number one rub with me when it comes to Iowa offensive football is the predictability of it and the the um, reluctance to try some new things. There are tweaks. There are differences that I see this year in the offense, but it largely looks a lot like it did last year, just bringing in other guys, a new quarterback to execute it better. So there's that. Well, guys, we've gotten through all the uh, questions. We've run to, uh, what, about an hour. Got an hour out of this. These are running about an hour every week. Really appreciate all the questions I got from you guys. Uh, Appreciate everybody who listens to the podcast. We appreciate it a bunch. Programming note, I apologize. I did this on social media, but wanted to do it to our faithful podcast audience. Apologize for not having a rapid reaction podcast last week with Jovan Johnson and Jordan Kanzeri. Uh, it's tough on those late games when I'm on the road. Uh, can't really do it after the game on location. Uh, I get I got home at 11 o'clock at night, which is midnight for those guys. We're not running a podcast out then. And then both of those guys coach high school football, so Sundays can be a little tricky for them. So that was kind of we ran into some conflicting schedules this week. And uh, hopefully we don't have that happen again. But as we've talked about, the Western Michigan game, at least on paper, shouldn't be overly competitive. We don't need to spend a lot of time on that this Saturday when we do the rapid reaction. We'll do a non-conference wrap-up of what we saw this non-conference, what it looks like going into the Big Ten. We'll recap the Western Michigan game, but we're going to take a little broader view of what Iowa looks like going into the Big Ten and get opinions from those guys on that. Again, the Hawk Fanatic feed. Most weeks you'll get a fresh, during the football season, get a fresh Hawk-centric podcast every day of the week. Monday, Wednesday, Friday is Pat Hardy and the guys from KCJJ. Tuesdays is me here with you doing the mailbag. Thursdays, Scott Docterman and I, 9 a.m. YouTube live podcast the Hawkeye hotspot Saturday is the rapid review. Most Saturdays uh, when I'm not on the road and we have conflicts 
and then Sundays, the Hawkeye History Podcast with former Hawkeye punter Brian Hurley. Some really good stuff he's pumping out, so check those out. Again, thank you guys for the questions. Thank you for listening. Uh, thank you especially to our sponsors for allowing us to bring you these podcasts free of charge, no Patreon or any of that stuff. So have a good couple days. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Until then, peace.